0: You turn with me uh, back to uh, Judges chapter three. Judges chapter three. The first two uh, chapters are introductions, and now we come to uh, the the judges themselves. And what we uh, read really first and foremost is that uh, the judges are anointed with the Holy Spirit. The judges are anointed with the Holy Spirit. And what this really uh, signifies and, and shows us is that the, the judges are really symbols or, or types of, of Christ. For we know that uh, Christ is the the final judge. And so here we have in uh, the book of Judges, not just um, histories or stories about these men who were raised up to uh, save the people of God in dim and distant times, but there's so much symbolism in here which we would be uh, wise to uh, take note of. Because what we see here is that continued war that God has against Satan, but also the victory that Christ has over Satan. And so, therefore, we, we have these uh, terms of a savior to be used of, of these judges. The judges are themselves called uh, deliverers, saviors, and they uh, bring that work of deliverance and salvation to God's people. So we should see not just a a physical, material salvation in the land, but also that that spiritual uh, uh, salvation also, even more so. The people repented and turned back. So we have these judges that are uh, brought up, um, filled, anointed, uh, with the Holy Spirit. And so we look firstly to, uh, to, to Othniel, and we, we, we note here as we, we read through the first few chapters uh, how uh, the elders who had survived Joshua, well, they've died, and now the people are beginning to worship the false gods, the, the Baals, the, the Asherahs. Uh, These uh, Canaanite uh, uh, goddesses of of Venus, we think. And this obviously um, is against what God has commanded them to do. Remember, God has commanded them and then given them a promise. If they'll do what they've been told to do, then they will be blessed. If not, then they will be cursed. And so therefore we see that this provokes God to anger. And we... Read that he sold them back into slavery, not to uh, Egypt this time, but it was a certainly a, a type of Egyptian-type bondage-type slavery, but not to the Egyptians uh, this time to those of Mesopotamia. Uh, this this Kushite, uh, Kushan, Chusan, Kushan, Kushan, Kushan Rishathene. Means the Cushite of double wickedness, and which means the, the, the um, ruled over Aram Naharaim, which means Assyria of two rivers. As we say, that's really Mesopotamia. And so, therefore, what we see here is it he, he, when he says of the of the, of the two, um, it means means the d- d- double double wickedness here. How. This the, the bondage of slavery that the people find themselves under with this man is, is double what was even under Egypt. It was doubly severe. As I said, they weren't sold south this time, but to the north, to, to Mesopotamia, to the land of Babylon and of Assyria. And uh, uh, where Cushion came from? He came from uh, Babylon. And we... Remember, from uh, the time of the, the end of the Israelite monarchy when God finally judged his people in that definitive way was to the northern peoples of Assyria and then of Babylon, uh, whom he used for that purpose. And so here we have, uh, right back at the beginning in Judges chapter 3, the start of uh, this, uh, um, where... Uh, the people are, are failing in their, their witness, in their life, in their work, in their testimony. That this first oppressive power that has been brought against Israel as they are sinning is from that same place. And God is issuing a warning here. Right back at the beginning of their uh, uh, settling in the land of milk and honey in the promised land, he's issuing a warning, hinting at what could be for the future. What could be for the future? And this was even worse than what they had experienced in Egypt. And we remember how Abraham had been called out of Babylon, which is Ur of the Chaldees, to begin with, Babel had been erected so that people could make a name for themselves, remember, sinfully back in Genesis chapter 11. But remember that we remember God promised to give a name to Abraham. And Joshua, this is only a few years before, before the judges, Joshua it, it reminded them of this, where they had come from, what God had done for them, that, that, that God was making a name for himself and also for them that they would be the people of God that people would would come and worship the living God from from all nations but if they rejected the Lord they would end up back in Babylon this is that warning the situation here is, is perilous for the children of God because if he'd They've been just said they would taken back to Egypt. Well, then they would still have had the Abrahamic covenant to rely on, because only the Mosaic covenant would have been put back. But no, this time he said, "No, if you not be careful here, I'm warning you." If you do not follow my ways, you'll go all the way back to even before how it was before Abraham and his covenant. God was here threatening to remove everything from them if they did not obey, even the Abrahamic blessings. The first exodus, the one where Abraham left Ur of the Chaldees and journeyed around through into uh, Israel. That would be reversed. There will be nothing left. That was a great threat that they should have seen. Now we do know, because we have those neverthelesses and those buts, that when actually that exile did come to take place, that the, the grace and the love of God was so great that uh, he did not cast them off totally after all. But it was still... Uh, When it finally did happen, it still was. That that exile was still great. So we come back to where we are in the here and now of Judges chapter 3. Before all of this will take place, Well, they do not heed the warning that God has given them. And so here they are. They're oppressed for eight years. And uh, it's in the eighth year that uh, uh, God comes and delivers them by raising up Othniel. We don't really know exactly what uh, the word Othniel means. Maybe God is powerful or lion of God. But certainly, here, this first judge that was risen up uh, was the lion of the tribe of Judah. And so, here we have uh, this judge being risen up, the lion of the tribe of Judah, and he comes and saves the people of God from, from Babylon. Again, just foreshadowing the, the greater Othniel, Christ Jesus, who would destroy the ultimate Babylon in Revelation chapter 19. So we can see, we see have this, this foreshadowing, this type, this, these firsts and these lasts, how it all intertwines together. And we read that after the oppression, there were 40 years of peace, 40 years of peace he'd raised up this generation well looking at that on on Thursday night and it was not until after another generation came along that the land fell into apostasy and judgment once again the people although in that time uh, were doing well they did obviously not pass on to their children what they were to tell of who the Lord was and what he had done And so therefore we uh, come to verse 12 where we read that the children of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord. They fall once more, they fail once more, they're doing evil in the sight of the Lord. And so therefore we read it is the Lord who strengthens Eglon, the king of Moab, against Israel. You need to remember this. This is the Lord God Almighty acting against his own people. The Lord strengthened. Scripture is very clear on this. It is the Lord who is acting against his people. The Lord strengthened Eglon, the king of Moab, against Israel because they had done evil in the sight of the Lord. And so Eglon uh, gathered the children of Ammon and Amalek, and so here we have Eglon and the significance of the uh, um, this this this, this um, uh, uh, Moabite, and then he, he gets the uh, uh, the uh, children of Ammon and, and Amalek. Moab and, and Ammon, remember, descendants of, of Lot. Um, which all started uh, with, when the daughters um, uh, with their father uh, did what they should not have done. And we and re- reminded, obviously, well, where did the daughters learn this? Well, they were in Sodom and Gomorrah. We learned that from that morality from their lives in Sodom and Gomorrah. And, and, and Moab and Ammon are in Scripture seen as that historical extension of Sodom and Gomorrah. So when you read about... Uh, Uh, Moab and Ammon read Sodom and Gomorrah. That perversity, that cruelty of Sodom and Gomorrah. And and so by selling Israel into their hands, what is God saying? He's not just saying, well, this is what you deserve. They did deserve that. But also he's saying, well, this is what you are like. This is the kind of culture you properly are placed in. And so we have this, this, this fat king Eglon, picture of a a Sodomite king. And we wonder why we're in the state that we're in today as as a nation. God would say, well, this is what you deserve, but this is also what you are like. And also join with them the Amalekites. Amalek, a first nation, according to Numbers 24, the first nation of the world, but also the fiercest four of Israel, and also the first enemy that Israel had actually defeated. And so here we have this humiliation for Israel now. Israel already have defeated Amalek, but now they are slaves of them. And where does uh, Eglon, this king of Moab, make his uh, headquarters? He makes them in the city of palm trees, which is Jericho. The first place Israel conquered in Canaan. This place, this city that was wholly dedicated to the Lord by fire. It was raised to the ground. It was burned with sacrificial fire. But now it had fallen into the hands of the enemy. Showing again just how far Israel had stooped. And God was showing them this. This is what's happening. You've had all these victories in the past. This city was wholly sacrificed to the Lord. But now, look, because of your sin, this is what is happening. The oppression lasted 18 years. 18 years. They cry out to uh, the Lord. Verse 15 children of Israel cried unto the Lord. The Lord raised them up a deliverer. The Lord uh, raised them up a deliverer. Ehud possibly means strong, and he was their, their, their next savior. And we read this from the tribe of Benjamin. And here again, when uh, uh, Rachel had uh, given birth to Benjamin as she died, remember she named him Ben Oni, which is the, the, the son of my sorrow. But I remember her husband Jacob uh, changed his name to Benjamin, which is son of the right hand, son of the right hand. Which can either mean I come from my father's right hand, which is the hand of authority and rulership, sitting at the right hand of someone, or even I am right handed. But Benjamin was left-handed and actually it's a, a, a characteristic of uh, descendants of Benjamin, that they were left-handed. So Ehud is a true Benjamite. He is left-handed. And though his, his life is obviously uh, starting under slavery, this persecution, he is elevated to the right hand in becoming a ruler. And again, is portraying Christ, the true Benjamite. And remember, remember that uh, the Lord God was, was known as the man of sorrows. But his name was changed when he was elevated to the right hand of the father. In Acts 7.56, the seat of rule and authority. Ehud must have already uh, been of high standing amongst his people because that will uh, have a significance later on where he was given access into the uh, most private of places uh, of King uh, Eglon. Ehud uh, brings this uh, tribute money, this present, this this tribute of money, and uh, to this uh, oppressing ruler Eglon. Egon knew that uh, Ehud was already in a position of authority. And then what we read also, we, we, we're given this, isn't it, in verse 16? Ehud made him a dagger, made himself a dagger which had two edges of a cubit length. So we're looking at from the elbow to the knuckle. And where did he put it? He put it under his right thigh. Put it under his, his right thigh, so that it will be available, well, you can't see me, it would be available for his left hand. He was left-handed, so therefore he would go like that and then go like that. Rather than right hand, you'd have had it on your left thigh, but he was left-handed, so you had it on his right thigh. This will all come uh, significantly shortly. Sword is two-edged. We're reminded again of that two-edged sword, which is the word of God, two-edged sword, which is the word of God. And so uh, Ehud, he presents the tribute, he, uh, the money comes, his, his army, his men uh, are left behind, they're separated at Gilgal, and goes on with Ehud. So sorry goes on with Eglon. Ehud leaves his men, and he goes back to Eglon's home. Gilgal, a bit of uh, geography, was between Jericho and the Jordan, and Eglon's army would have had to retreat towards the Jordan, passing by this trap that has been set up for them at Gilgal. And interestingly, we'll be looking at the portion of this really tonight, because what we see here is that, God willing, that tonight, that, that, um, this is the, 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 the army is being left behind and the saviour is going on ahead doing what only he can do and we know that that Christ is the one that strikes the killing blow against Satan and then what happens is his church the army of God they come along afterwards and fight those smaller skirmishes and those battles against Satan's fleeing army but back to the story Ehud, what does he do? He says, well, um, I've got something to tell you. I've got a secret message for you, O king. And again, that uh, the position that Ehud's in means that he can do this. Egon does not sort of like think this is strange. Uh, Ehud has this position as a judge in, in Israel. He says, I've got a message for you, one that's so great and important that it needs to be delivered in secret. And the message was the word of God although Eglon did not know that he would have such a, a negative uh, point to it. And so what happens is, because this is going to take place, in, he, he says this needs to be a secret, um, he, 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 he steps away from his uh, servants, his advisors, advisors and they, they leave him. They go to this upper room, a room where there have been many windows, uh, so that the breeze would have uh, uh, cooled them down, and here Ehud deceived Eglon by leading him to think that he had a, a verbal message from God for him, whereas in reality the uh, the message was of something different. It was uh, a dagger into him. Ehud uses the word God here. It's not actually uh, Yahweh, the Lord God Almighty. Because remember, Eglon had no respect at all for the Lord God Almighty Yahweh. But he would have respect for some foreign, his, his own God, we would say was a false God. And so we read, don't we, that the mention of this secret message from God, a false God, one of his own gods, Eglon stood up in respect of that, which helped uh, Ehud to be able to do what he was about to do. His belly exposed. He had reached out his left hand, remember, to draw the, the knife, the dagger from his right thigh. And remember what would have happened here. Normally, uh, if Eglon was a warrior, as a king, he would have known that if Ehud had stretched out his, his, his right hand and gone to his left side, then he would have possibly, probably, have put his defenses up. But no. Egon did not know or suspect anything that Ehud was left-handed. Because why would he? Because, as we all know, if, if you're left-handed, and certainly in days gone by, that was sort of tried to be driven out of you. So if you were left-handed, you had have to learn to write with your right hand. If you were left-handed, you'd have to fight with your right hand. We don't do that so much now. But in those days, he probably never even met a left-handed person before. So he didn't suspect anything. Ehud, as a left-handed man, he'd hidden the the, the dagger on his right thigh. He took it and plunged it into the belly of King Eglon. Sank fully into him, showing really just how fat he really was. If you think about a dagger that is this this long, so that you could not see it. And then we read, um, maybe a bit gory details, I suppose, that something came out of him, dirt came out of him. Uh, In death, uh, muscles relax and the colon of the colon relax and and therefore uh, issuing forth would be excrement dirt from from his body. And we read, don't we, in verse 24, this is where we we read this, uh, Surely he covereth his feet. Uh, we remember uh, David when he was back in the back of the cave, when Saul was chasing him, and Saul came into the front of the cave, said to his uh, men, you stay back there, I'm going to go to the toilet. And we read there the same words where he was covering his feet. And so here, what happened is that the servants think that uh, Eglon... They would have be been able to smell also the, uh, the, the odour, the bad smell that had come out. And here also, as we, we read into this, that we read about uh, the, the dust of the earth. We read about Satan as a serpent when you go back to the garden. Having to crawl through the dust, through the dirt, this uncleansing and cleanness, and, and uh, this, this, this um, just the way that we, we see here how the evil one, Satan, also, uh, he's being crushed as well. And we see here with with Eglon uh, that. Uh, this position that, that he's in and uh, we, we talk about the, the, the battle that's going on between uh, uh, God and, and the devil and, and the symbolism here of, of, uh, of Jesus crushing uh, Satan's head. And, and here we have uh, Ehud as the savior here uh, killing uh, Eglon who is the symbol, symbol of Satan in this place of, uh, of Babylon and and also the uh just that we see here that as the as reminded of the, the the camp the Israelite camp in the wilderness where the toilets had to be outside the camp because as as God walked through the camp, he did not want to be walking in the dirt as it is, and so we see in all of this, and I could go on and talking about more and more of the, of this the uh, the symbolism of, of this, but we we see how God is, is showing us and, and, and making even the, the people of Israel as we looking forward to the Messiah, but also as we look back, we see how God had it all planned out, and these symbols and these types of of Christ. And so also we see that. Eglon here was ceremonially unclean. And we read about this, don't we? When his servants, in the next verse, verse 25, they tarried till they were ashamed. Shame had had come over them. They realized that uh, something was wrong. And all of this also, besides the fact that it is a symbolism and a type of, of Christ and that the battle is going on between Christ and Satan, this, remember, gives Ehud time to escape. Because in the confusion of what is happening in all of this, Ehud, in verse 26, has escaped while they tarried. God has given Ehud time. To be able to make his way out without anyone suspecting anything. Because even when the servants looked through the windows or the partitions and smelt what they smelt and saw the position he was in, they would think, okay, well, he's obviously gone to the toilet. God uses these situations for his people to be able to uh, uh, succeed in, in, the, in the mission that, that God has given them to do. And so what happens is um, he goes out. Before that, actually, just remember remember Christ on the cross as well. And we don't want to think about it, but remember Christ, uh, cursed on uh, the tree, uh, shamed because of his nakedness. And and again, we, we, we see that, how... It was Christ Jesus who on the cross had his nakedness exposed as our substitute and that great exchange saw that we might be clothed and therefore unashamed. That we may be clothed and unashamed. It's what Christ did for his people. So having crushed Christ having crushed the uh, Satan, the, 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 then we also see how uh, Ehud here, the king is being killed, symbolizing to a certain extent Satan. And what does he? What does the uh, Ehud now do? He now goes back to his his army, and he leads them to victory against the remainder of the enemy's forces. And that's what we read about as the time came to pass. When he was come, he blew the trumpet in the mountain of Ephraim. The children of Israel went down with him from the mountain, he before them. And this is surely that, 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 that just gives us that picture of, of the Lord God Almighty leading us into battle. He's already crushed Satan's head. The victory has been won. Now he leads us, he leads his church into the victory, into the battle that is before, to take possession of the land, into the promised land. And as Ehud himself has killed the enemy's leader. Ehud's men killed the enemy's troops. And that's the same with Christ also, isn't it? He's dealt with Satan. Now we are called to deal with Satan's army. We go back to Revelation uh, chapter 19. We could say that the greater Ehud as he leads his army to victory by the use of the proclamation of his his word, that two-edged sword that comes from his mouth. And so God's people emerged to rule over their enemies. They'd driven back the opposition, and the land had rest for 80 years. The land had rest for 80 years, two generations this time. Previously it was one generation, but this time two generations of peace. Therefore, Ehud and his generation must have been faithful in teaching the truth of who God was and what he had done to their own children. Not until the third generation, but they fell away and that God had to chastise his people again. So we see, don't we, that it's in verse 12 that the Lord raises up the enemy. In verse 15, it's the Lord who raises up the saviour. And in verse 28, it's the Lord who gives the victory. It's the Lord who gives the victory. And so therefore, when we read Scripture, even the histories of old, we see the Lord at work in his Scripture. And then just uh, we read just as a, as a footnote to the, uh, to the chapter. Chapter. After him was Shamgar, the son of Anath, which slew uh, Philistines six hundred men with an ox goad, and he also uh, delivered Israel. Uh, this ox goad, uh, not a, a a weapon of war. It's just a uh, an animal, uh, a animals ox's bone, so he wasn't a warrior he wasn't a uh, uh using a um a sword or anything like that but what we know from this 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 verse about shamgar shamgar using this weapon which which wasn't a a weapon at all it was, a, it was an implement implement they used to 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 work with but what we know is that as you go through uh the book of judges uh, we think of uh, uh, Jael's uh, tent peg. We, we think of the, the upper millstone that was thrown out of the, uh, fr- from the upper uh, towers and killed Abimelech. And uh, We see how God uh, uses all manner of people and tools and, and work. And we sometimes think to ourselves, well, I'm maybe not a, a warrior like Ehud. Maybe you can be more like Shamgar who's just going about their everyday work and over time you do the will of the Lord and over time slew 600 men who probably weren't expecting it because he was just carrying around a a tool, an implement. Expecting. uh, And so therefore uh, take them by surprise even. And so therefore we look to ourselves and we say well what type of a uh, a, a man of God, a woman of God, child of God am I. And you think, well, I might not be like um, might not be like uh, Ehud. might not be like Othniel. You may be like Shamgar, who only gets this one verse here but uses uh, an ox goat, But he still was doing the Lord's work. Because ultimately it is the Lord's has the victory because he is the one who gives you the strength to, to go out, to face enemies that even he has given strength to, that you as a congregation, as a church, may fight the battles that he has given and placed in front of you. Let us pray. Uh, Father God, we think of these uh, three judges here, all, all different, but all doing thy work, and Lord God, we uh, recognize that you have given us that work to do as your church, that in Christ uh, we have the victory for Christ has crushed Satan's head. (coughs) Uh, But now uh, we have that mopping up to do. We still are in that uh, um, uh, battle against the world, the flesh, and the devil. So Lord God, as a church, we pray that we united may be uh, led and follow thee into that battle that is before us, that we may not settle in the land and think that all is well, that we would not leave it to others, maybe even, but that we would know uh, that each and every one of us has a battle to fight. We thank thee, Lord God, that thou hast given us the strength, that thou hast filled us with thy Holy Spirit to indeed do thy mighty works. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. We sing uh, as our closing psalm, uh, Psalm number four, uh, the first five verses of <coughs> Psalm four. First five verses of Psalm four. Give ear unto me when I call, God of my righteousness, have mercy. Hear my prayer, thou hast enlarged me in distress. So ye sons of men, how long will ye love vanities? How long my glory turn to shame? And will ye follow lies? But know that for himself the Lord, the godly man, doth choose. The Lord, when I on him do call to hear, will not refuse. Fear and sin not. Talk with your heart on bed and silent be. Offerings present of righteousness. And in the Lord trust ye. Psalm 4, the first five verses to the Lord's praise. of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, with you all now and forevermore. Amen.